Jesus Encounter Part 3. And uh, my name is Tim. If you're here for the first time, I hope it's not the last time. Come on back. Make Waters Church your home church. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to get there in just a moment. The title of my message is Get Over Them and Get to Him. Get over them and get to Him. Matthew chapter 9, take out a Bible or your smartphone Bible, whatever you want to do there. Also, there's notes available at waterschurch.guide, which looks like that. Waterschurch.guide on your smartphone. And if you click on today's message, it will pop down the message notes digitally, and you can take notes that way if you're online or if you don't have the paper notes in front of you. These, these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about having a Jesus encounter. How many know that a Jesus encounter can change your life? If, you, if, your, if your life has been changed by Jesus, can I get a good amen at all locations? Amen. All right, so, so even if you're not saying amen yet, can I tell you, it's not too late. God can change your life today. These last couple of weeks, though, when we talk about the Jesus encounter, they have one thing in common. The first week we were in this series, we talked about Luke chapter 5, when Jesus interrupted Peter's day of mending his nets on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. If you remember that story in Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus just jumped into Peter's boat without asking for permission. Do you know what that's called? That's called an interruption. And we said in that week that when Jesus interrupts your life, he doesn't interrupt to take anything from you. He interrupts to give something invaluable to you. Yeah? He's a, he's a good giving God. Amen, somebody. Amen. And then week two, we talked about the blind man. And what you have to remember about that moment in, in Mark chapter 9 is that the blind man was coming to Jesus, but it was because somebody else brought him to Jesus. And, and I don't know if anybody has that part of their story in how they came to Jesus, but aren't you glad for the people who were instrumental in bringing you to Jesus? I mean, aren't you glad somebody cared enough about you to invite you to church or, or tell you the gospel or bear witness to who Jesus was in their life and it made a difference in your life? Anybody happy about that? I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah, but those two encounters that we've talked about so far in weeks one and week two of this series, the thing that they have in common is this. Somebody else other than the person who encountered Jesus had something to do with them coming to Jesus. That Jesus interrupted Peter and people brought the blind man. But this week, we're looking at somebody, actually we're looking at three different encounters where the people came to Jesus on their own. They came to Jesus, and, and hear this, in spite of what other people were doing to them or how they came between them and Jesus. How many know that you've gotta learn, you gotta do this at some point, you gotta learn to pursue Jesus regardless of who's around him or who's holding you back from him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've got to have a pursuing mindset with Jesus. And that's this text that we're looking at today. So would you stand with me at all locations? Stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. And reading from the text, it says this. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they'll fast. 
Then he says this, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If they do, the patch will tear away from the garment and the tear is worse. Neither is new wine, and somebody say new wine, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Now look at this verse. While he was saying these things, behold, a ruler came up and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him and his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. But they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went through all that district. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. Father, help our hearts to be open to what you want to say. Help our minds to be renewed through the preaching and teaching of your word and help our lives to bear fruit in accordance with that. And help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you, have a seat at all locations. I heard the story of a woman who was getting old in life and she was alone and her husband had died and her children had moved out and nobody really came around to visit her as much as they should have. And so she decided to get a pet, but she didn't want to take a dog into her house. She didn't want to mess up her house. She wanted a caged pet. So somebody told her, go get yourself a parrot because parrots will talk to you. You can have a conversation with these things. So she goes to the pet store. She gets a parrot. She brings the parrot home. She puts the parrot in the cage, cages in the house, and the parrot won't talk. So she goes back to the pet store. She says, this parrot won't talk. He says, well, sometimes parrots like a mirror. If you get a mirror, you put it in the cage, and the mirror looks, and the parrot looks at itself in the mirror, it'll start talking. So she gets a mirror, puts it in the cage. Weeks go by, still no talking. She goes back to the pet store. She says, I put the mirror in, still no talking. He says, well, sometimes a parrot likes a ladder. And they go up down the ladder, and they get a little bit happy, then they start talking. So she bought the parrot a ladder, and she put the ladder in the crate, and she came and talked, tried to talk to the parrot, and still no talking for a couple of weeks. And so she went back to the pet store, and she said, this parrot is still not talking. What gives? He says, well, sometimes parrots need a swing. So if you buy the parrot a swing, and it gets on the swing, and it goes back and forth, and it starts, you know, expanding its wings, it'll feel good, and it'll start talking. So she bought the parrot the swing. She brought the swing, put it in the cage, and she tried to talk to the parrot. Parrot wouldn't talk. Finally, the parrot died. She went back to the, parrot, the pet store, and she had the pet parrot, parrot in, the, in the cage, and she said, this parrot is now dead. Nothing that you said worked. And the owner said, well, let me ask you a question. Did he ever speak at all? She said, yeah, as a matter of fact, he did. He said one last thing before he died. He said, what did he say? The parrot said, do you got any food at that pet store? <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't, I don't know. You guys obviously have a heart for parrots. I don't know. It was a joke. <laughs> It's a fiction. You can laugh at that, okay? How many know you got to keep the main thing the main thing? 
You, you can have mirrors, you can have swings, and you can have ladders, and if you don't have food, your parrot's gonna die. Amen, somebody. Are you following me now this morning? Because you got me worried down here in Apollo Beach. Woo, okay. You know what I'm talking about is that Jesus is the main thing. And so many times people let so many other things occupy their mind and occupy their time that they forget Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. I'm the light of life. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. And this is what the devil does. Sometimes the devil doesn't try to come and make you sin. Sometimes he just tries to get you so busy with so many other things, you forget to keep Jesus first. And this is a passage that shows us a couple of people whose, whose, whose lives drove them to Jesus, and listen to this, in spite of what everybody around them was doing. And you gotta learn to do this in your life. You gotta learn to go after Jesus no matter what people are saying about him or saying to you. Can I get a good amen for that right there? See, I want you to know something. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Take out your notes and fill in two blanks for me right away. Number one, Jesus is worth whatever you gotta get over to get to him. And number two, let me say it like this, Jesus is worth whoever you gotta get over to get to him. Who is keeping you away from what God wants to give you? Or what is keeping you away from what God wants to do in your life? And my question to you at every location this morning is very simple. Will you get over whoever is between you and Jesus to push through the crowd and come to him? Because in my opinion, and it's not really my opinion, it's the truth of the word of God, Jesus is worth it. Amen, somebody. There's nothing better than following Jesus. Nothing better than knowing Jesus. How many can tell me this morning with a good amen that you were lost and Jesus found you? That you were undone and he came and got you? That you had no hope and he came and put hope in your life for a future before you? That you know that maybe life might not be what you want it to be, but there's a life yet to come. And though you die in this life, the best is yet to come in the life to come. Come on, somebody. Can you give God a prayer? in this place he's worth it and some of you have got to realize this and some of you may not yet realize this but there's always going to be someone in your life that's trying to hinder you from what God wants to do in you there's going to be a they write this down who is my they who is my they it's a four letter word it's a, it's a pronoun I know we're pronoun crazy in this culture but can we just get our pronouns right I'm talking about a plural group of people who try to keep you away from God who is your they? I, I, they? Can I say, they always have something to say. They always get in the way. They always push you sometimes out of what God wants for you. Some of you have got a, a, a back pocket they person in your life, and here's what you do. Here's what I mean by that. You say this, well, I'd be closer to God, but they... And I don't know, fill in the blank there. I, I'd get involved in church, but they hurt me at my last church. Mmm, it's quiet down here, okay. I'd, I'd serve God more, but they've got me busy at the job. At the job. I, I, I'd love to be involved, but they are occupying. These kids are keeping me running crazy. And, and if you're not careful, you'll give yourself and all your energy to everything else that doesn't matter, and you'll miss the main thing, and that's Jesus. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? That an encounter with Jesus, and I want you to write this down, an encounter with Jesus happens when we get over what they think 
and pursue what he offers. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you gotta learn to get over what people think, amen, somebody? You gotta learn to be okay with being thought to be crazy or a little bit too into church or a little bit too involved. And you gotta be, you gotta be okay with people criticizing you. You gotta be okay with people not liking you. I mean, to follow Jesus means that immediately the world, the enemy, the spiritual powers of the wickedness in the heavens, they all don't like you. And so if you're gonna follow Jesus, you better expect some friction in your relationship structures. You better expect some people to push back on it. Some people aren't gonna be all with what God wants to do in your life. And in this story, we got three, we got three encounters with Jesus. And, and here's what happened. All three of these people, they came to Jesus. Two of them got totally changed. One of them didn't, though. And so I wanna talk about the first group, and then we're gonna talk about the last two. And the first group is kind of interesting. Look with me at the text. It says in verse 14, it says, Then the disciples of John. Um, who's that John, by the way? Anybody know who that is? John the Baptist. This is the forerunner of Jesus. This is the guy who preceded Jesus. And these are the people who followed him. And you know, John was kind of a wild guy. He was out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He wore camel skin and leather belt. And he was a wild man, but he was a mighty man and a powerful preacher. And people came to be baptized and repented their sins. And, and John had an amazing impact. But look what it says here. It says that some of his disciples, some of the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Uh, you know who this represents? This represents the people who always have something to say about what the church is doing. They always have a complaint. Why, why does the church do that? And, and you know what they do? They always make an and this is so true, they make an excuse for why they aren't engaged in the life of the church by always criticizing what's going on in the life of the church. They always got something to say. Well, why does the pastor do that? Well, why, are, why is it video preaching? That's a big one we hear. Why is it that way? Why, are, why aren't they singing the old hymns? Well, why do they sing those? Uh, and this is the case in point. John's disciples, who had been led by a good man, suddenly got so tied, they got so connected to how church was, they weren't ready for what church had become. Be careful that you don't let your experience with the Lord in the past hinder you from what God is doing in the life of his church in the present. Come on, somebody. Can I get a good amen right there? God wants to do something new. And I love Jesus' response in verse 15. It says, hey, can the wedding, can the wedding guests mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them. In other words, we're doing something fun here. We're doing something exciting here. The days will come when I'm taken away, sure. And then they will fast. And, and, and then he says this. He talks about a patch of, of garment being sewed onto new, an old, a new patch being sewed onto an old garment. He says that will, that'll tear away and it'll be worse. And then he says this in verse 18. He says, um, uh, we can't put new wine into old wineskins because the new wine will ferment and bubble up and they will burst the old wineskins. Hey, be careful, Waters Church, at all occasions, that you're not an old wineskin Christian. That you're not so tied to the old ways that you're stuck in what God, this is how God works, this is what church should be like, this is how I engage, and anything different than that is unacceptable. Hey, listen, the, the wineskin sometimes has to be updated for the things that God wants to do in our generation. Can I get a good amen? We can't be catering to what happened in the past. We've got to embrace what God is doing today. And sometimes, you know what keeps you from experiencing all that God wants? You're so tied to how he moved in the past, you don't realize what he's up to today. 
And I love, I love Jesus' illustrations. He's like, listen, can the, can, the, can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while the, while the bridegroom is here? Write this down so, so I know you're getting it. Christianity is a feast, it's not a funeral. Christianity is a feast, not a funeral. You got that on the screen, can we put that up there? It's, it's, not, it's not, we're not mourning, we're rejoicing. I'll take that down. We're not mourning. We're rejoicing. It's a party to be in the presence of God. Amen, somebody. That when we come into the house of the Lord, we come to worship God. Amen? I don't come here to worship me. I don't come here to, to think about you. I mean, I love you. I thank God that you're all here. But how many know that we don't come here because of what the music is or because who the preacher is. We come here because of who our God is. We come here because of Jesus. You want to be blessed at Waters Church? Come to Waters Church for Jesus to speak to you because he's the one who loves you and gave his life for you. Can I get a good amen? amen. That's why we're here. And you got to keep the main thing the main thing because there are things that God wants to do in your life. There are things that God wants to do in your life that you will be held back from if you're paying attention to what they Say, who is your they? It might be a coworker. It might be a bunch of coworkers. It might be a family member. It might be an entire family. It might be friends that you just can't disconnect from. And if you're not careful, they'll keep you from the Lord. And I get it. Peer pressure is a thing. When you're a teenager, peer pressure messes with you. You dress funny. You do things you shouldn't do because of friends. But how many know peer pressure is still a thing when you're, when you're, an, when you're an adult? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That community group will force you in. Hey, we're down here in Florida and New England. You should be thankful. We're down here in the land of the HOA. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> Man, I thought we got rid of Nazis in World War II, but they're, in the, they're all over the HOAs, aren't they? Your grass is too long. Your trash bin is outside in front of your house. Watch out for the, for the Gestapo of the HOA. They will come for you. I, I don't know who your they is. Who is your spiritual HOA? That if you don't do exactly what they want you to do, they will criticize you. And if you're not careful, you'll let criticisms from people around you keep you from the one who died for you. Jesus died for me, my friend. My Lord died for me. He gets my allegiance, my allegiance over what you think, my allegiance over what my family thinks, my allegiance over what my friends think, and I'm going to follow him no matter what happens to me in the relationship structures of my life because he's worth it. He's worth it. So I got three people, three groups of people that could be holding you back from God. I want you to write them down. Number one, uh, they might be people who embrace you. They, write that down, that's point number one, might be people who embrace you. Somebody say embrace. embrace. What do I mean by that? I mean people who like you. People who like you and love you and think you're wonderful can also be a hindrance to your walk with God. How many know what I'm talking about here? Let's back up in the text here. It says this in verse 18. While he was saying these things, while he was talking to the people who were more tied to uh, John's ministry and the Pharisees' ministry, in other words, while he was talking to the people who were more tied to the old ways of relating to God, look what it says, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. What's that first word there up on the screen? What is it? Behold, as if, as if Matthew's saying, wouldn't you know? <laughs> 
Wouldn't you know, as he was talking about that you can't come to God in the old way, a ruler came and knelt before him. And what did the ruler say? My son's at home. My, my daughter just died. Can you come lay your hand on her? She'll be made well. It's an amazing um, syncopation of events here in this passage. Because Jesus is talking about that old guard, and this guy is a ruler, but just circle the word ruler in the text there, because this is not just a ruler in the community, this is a religious ruler. This is a synagogue ruler. And uh, Mark tells us that, Luke tells us that, and what you have to understand about synagogues is, what were synagogues? Um, well, let's do a little bit of a history lesson. Back in uh, eight, 586 BC, 586 BC, the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. And because the temple was destroyed and the Jews were scattered all over the, the Babylonian empire, uh, they didn't have a place to go worship. So while they were in exile, and this is all historical truth, uh, they decided to come up with synagogues, little local places where they could go and worship, very much so like our modern-day church in America. What do we have here? We have like a modern-day synagogue, although it's not a synagogue, it's a church. It's a local gathering uh, where we all come together uh, from our local community and worship God. How many are glad you don't have to travel 1,500 uh, miles to go to church? Amen, amen, somebody. Well, that's what they did because they were scattered around the world and they started these synagogues. Here's how you put a synagogue together. Uh, you would have to have at least 10 families uh, that would agree to be a part of a local church, a local synagogue. And from the 10 families, they would elect the fathers or the heads of those families to be the synagogue leaders. That was the board of directors, you would call them. And out of the board of directors, those 10 leaders, they would elect one of their own to be the ruler of the synagogue. So here's what you have to know about this guy. He's a successful man. He's an esteemed man. He's loved by his community. He's got a good family, a good reputation. On top of that, he's been elected to the board of directors in the local church, the local synagogue. On top of that, out of the people who have already been elected to lead that synagogue, he's been elected from among them to be the leader of all of them. My friend, what I'm trying to tell you is that this guy was significant in his community. He was beloved, he was chosen, he was embraced, he was celebrated, and everybody thought the world of him. Write this down so I know you're getting it. Synagogue rulers were like the mayors of the community. Now, now I know that we can have a problem with our local mayors or councilmen and all that stuff, but in those days, these people were loved. They were leaders. Let me put it another way. They were embraced by their culture. They were embraced by their community. And you know what it says? It says this synagogue ruler who was tied to the old way of living with God, doing life with God, relating to God, the scripture says that he came to Jesus, this Nazarene carpenter, this guy that the Pharisees don't like, the Sadducees don't like, the religious establishment don't like, and here he is, he's part of the religious establishment, and he has to come and, and he gets on his knees in front of Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, this carpenter rabbi, and he begs him, come home with me, I need you to raise my daughter from the dead. How many know that I don't think he would have had anything to do with Jesus if his daughter hadn't died? But, his, but, the, but the bottom fell out of his life. Life hit him smack in the face. And that's the case for some of you. Or it's going to be the case for some of you. 
That sometimes you got to realize that the Lord allows the bottom to fall out so that he can catch you. How many of you can look back on your life and you can say, I thank God I went through that challenge. I thank God I went through that difficulty because if I hadn't gone through that difficulty, I never would have looked to Jesus. How many can say that it had to be, a, it had to be an experience that, that, that shook me free from the embrace of my community to break out of that confine, to break out of that prison and get myself to Jesus. I thank God for earth-shaking moments in my life when he ripped away what I was comfortable with so that I'd pursue him and find that in him I had all that I needed and everybody else didn't matter anymore because Jesus is enough. Anybody say amen to that? You got to get over. You got to get over the people who embrace you. A lot of people don't come to church because they're afraid of what their friends will think. A lot of people don't come to our kind of church because they come from an old style church and they're worried about what grandma will think. They don't, they don't break out of their system. It's one thing to be hated by, by your community and that can stifle you and stall you. But you know what might be worse is to be loved by your community. In fact, I think that's what the church is wrestling with right now in this culture, in America 2023. We're so desperate to try to be liked by our country, we forget that we're supposed to be prophetically in, uh, appointed to speak to our country. Amen, somebody? We're not here to be celebrated by the world. We're not here to be liked by what everybody, what everybody says. We're not here to fit in with what Hollywood dictates or what politicians say or what Washington, D.C. dictates. We are different than this country. We are different than this world. And we're called to be different than the people around us because Jesus is that much worth it in our lives. We know he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nothing else matters in our lives. You got to get over that. Some of you are afraid, and this is a truth for, for many of you in all of our locations. Listen to, me, listen to me real quickly. You're afraid to get baptized because you're worried about what mom and dad will say. You're afraid to go through the waters of baptism because you're afraid of what grandma will think. Some of you are afraid of following Jesus wholeheartedly because you've got a spouse that isn't so up with what you're doing. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself serving them rather than him. Who's leading you? Who's directing you? Who's being in charge of your life? Can I ask you a question? I want you to see yourself in a car and you're driving on the road and I wanna ask you in the car, where is Jesus? Some of you got Jesus in the trunk of the car and you drive up to church on Sunday and you open the trunk and you pull him out and you bring him into the church building with you. And he's sitting with you right now. Isn't this cool, Jesus? We're at your house. Isn't this wonderful, Jesus? Oh, amen. And then when you're done, you're going to put him back in the trunk and you're going to drive off and live your own life. Some of you got Jesus. He's in the passenger seat, but you're doing all the driving. And some of you have made the decision and Jesus is in the driver's seat. God bless you. But I got a question for you. Are you a backseat driver? Are you telling him what to do? Are you wondering why he's leading you where you're going? Are you, are you always criticizing what he's doing in your life? You gotta let Jesus be Jesus because he has a funny way of being God. He's in charge. 
And don't let your community, don't let what you're surrounded by shape how you relate to Jesus. You gotta break free from the embrace of your culture. Jeremiah said it like this in chapter 29. After, after, the, after the Jews had been broken free against their will and brought into exile, he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me. But look at this, when you seek me with what? With all of your heart. You gotta, you gotta let go of what people think to embrace Jesus and let go, and this is so important, I hope you get it, don't miss it. Let go of the embrace of your community to go after God. That's what he had to get over. Now this is an amazing thing. While this was happening, while this distinguished religious leader was bowing at the feet of Jesus and got Jesus to come home with him, and I'm sure everybody started snarling, everybody started questioning, what's going on here? Why is he embracing Jesus? It, it, it's amazing what happens because we're introduced to a second character. And, and this woman is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And she represents another crowd of they. Write this down, who might be keeping you from Jesus? Uh, they, number two, can be the people who exclude you. See, see you, you can be kept off the path God wants you to be on by the people who embrace you, but how many know you can also be kept off the path God wants you on by the people who exclude you, the people who reject you, the people who don't think you measure up? Look at what it says um, in verse 20, and behold, and the behold is intentional. It's the, it's the second behold in three verses. Behold a ruler, an insider, a culturally acceptable person, followed, pursued Jesus, and then while he was doing it, behold, what's the next two words after behold in verse 20? What's the next two words? A woman. Right off the bat, we know she's a second-class citizen because in those days they were. In those days, women couldn't uh, own property. They didn't have rights. They were, if they were widows, they were basically impoverished for life. They didn't have a welfare system. They didn't have a protective, a social, a social safety net, nothing. They didn't care. And so this woman is an outcast already just by being a woman. And then it says this, she had suffered from a discharge of blood for, for 12 years. And she came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak. Okay, let me talk to you about this condition because the Greek translation of this word is the same if you go to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, not the Hebrew, but the Greek translation of the Old Testament from the book of Leviticus. The, the discharge of blood issue is the menstrual cycle. So this woman was struggling with her menstrual cycle unending for 12 years and it wouldn't get healed. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that she went to all kinds of doctors and they couldn't help her. And she could not do anything in society because of this problem. In fact, and this is not on the screen, but let me read to you from the law what this woman had to go through. This is from Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. Not on the screen, but just listen to it. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge of blood from the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge, she shall be continually unclean. As in the days of impurity, she shall be unclean. Listen to this. Every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. All the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever she touches 
shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and she shall, and that person who touches her shall be unclean until evening. Do you understand that this woman was completely isolated and excluded from society because of this issue in her life? She had no right. She couldn't talk to anybody. She couldn't touch anybody. She couldn't sit on things, lay on things, because it would immediately make that thing unclean. Now, I do have this on the screen for you. In verse uh, 19 of Leviticus 11, uh, 18, it says this. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness. That's a euphemism for you shall not have sex with a woman while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. Do you know what that means? She couldn't get married. She couldn't get married. Because as soon as someone wanted to marry her, she'd have to tell them her condition. And she wouldn't be able to meet anybody because she had to be estranged from everybody. What I'm trying to tell you is, and this is so important, you got to see this. This woman is totally excluded from society because of her condition. She's got no rights. She's got no community. She's got no embrace. If she had had a husband at any time, Let's just imagine that she's 45 and the condition started when she was, I don't know, uh, 33 and she was married at the time. Well, after a while, her husband probably would have divorced her. So what I'm trying to tell you is that this woman is alone. She's isolated. She's either widowed or divorced or, or left alone, completely isolated from her society with no opportunity to have any children at all. And it was one thing to be a woman in that culture, but it was a totally another level of, of exclusion if you were a childless woman. And I'm trying to tell you that this woman was unmarried, unloved, unable to have a family, and unacceptable to society. And I want you to think about this. Just remember to our lockdown days in this country. Just remember to those days. She was untouched for 12 years. I mean, we, we went how many months without being able to touch people? <laughs> Imagine doing that for 12 years. Imagine that kind of life. What I'm trying to say is she's excluded. And she was kept from Jesus. She was kept from people because of her community. But I love this woman's faith because she saw in that carpenter somebody different. She knew there was something different about this guy that was different from all the other guys. In every other situation, if she reached out and touched a guy, that guy would be unclean. But this is the first time she ever met somebody that if she touched him, he wouldn't become unclean. She would become clean. And this is the good news of the gospel, that when you come to Jesus with your sin, he takes your sin on the cross, he washes it away, and you don't make Jesus unclean, he makes you clean, he makes you acceptable to God, he brings you home to the Father, and he presents you sinless in the eyes of the creator who made you. And now you're accepted. The Bible says you're accepted in the family of the living God. You are embraced by the beloved. Is anybody excited today to know that you belong to the family of heaven? Come on, somebody. Uh, and, 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 and here's what I'm trying to say to you. Some of you relate more to this woman than to the ruler. Because you are the outcast. You are the person that people look at funny. You are the excluded one. And, and, and you gotta get over that too. You gotta learn something. The same blood of Jesus that washes me free from my sins is powerful enough to save you from your sins. The same God who loves me, he doesn't love me because I preached. He doesn't love me because I'm a pastor. Can we get this, can we get this straight? Do you know why God loves me? Because he loves. 
Amen, somebody. He doesn't love you because of what you do. He loves you because of who he is. And he has enough love. And someone needs, someone needs to hear this at one of our locations. I don't know where it is. But he has enough love to love the unlovable. And if you feel that's you, I got good news for you. You can press through the crowd. You can push through the restrictions that other people have put on you about God, and you can come and meet the Savior of the world who will wrap you in his arms and wash your sins away and make you acceptable to God the Father. <laughs> Permanently. Now, I love this passage. I love this passage because you've got, you've got extreme ends of the social spectrum, don't you? You got the ultimate insider, the ruler, pressing through, getting beyond his acceptance in the culture to get to Jesus. And then you got on the other end of the spectrum, you got this woman who was on the extreme other end, and she presses through her rejection and her exclusion from her culture to get to Jesus. Okay. I've been having a lot of fun doing this all series long, and I hope you've appreciated this, but I've been giving you some Bible study pro tips every, every message. You like them? I could have used a better amen or yes right there, but, well, I don't care because I'm going to give you another one, okay? Quick review. Uh, week one, I told you, this was Bible study pro tip number one. Let me see if you remember. Uh, if you want to understand the point of a passage, you've got to understand what? The point of the book in which that passage is. Oh, very good, very good, okay. Uh, week number two. <laughs> uh, in order to understand the passage, you've got to read what? There you go, before the passage and after the passage. Very good, okay. You might not be that excited about it, but at least you remember it. Okay, amen. <laughs> I, I, I got a number, you want another one? Yes. I, like I said, I don't care if you do, because I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Bible study pro tip number three for this week. Pay attention to extreme contrasts. The Bible is full of these. Now, why am I giving you these things? Because the old adage, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish what? I want to teach you to fish for truth in God's word that will feed you for a lifetime. You understand what I'm saying? So pay it when, when the Bible presents extreme contrast, there's a reason for it. Let, let me just show you. Um, the, the scholarly phrase for this is merism. Now, I know that means nothing to you, and it shouldn't, and I don't care if it does. You don't need to know that word. That's what they teach you in seminary. In seminary, they teach you words that don't matter. <laughs> but a merism is extreme opposites that are intended, and this is important, to include everything in between. That's what a merism is. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was what? And then right away, the text goes into merism mode, and he says, and God separated the light from the what? The darkness. And the very first passage in the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the point here is that everything between is included. Are you getting this? That means that God is the creator of everything on earth and above the earth and beyond the earth and everything in the, he's the creator of everything. Light and dark are in his domain. Uh, he, he is the author of life and he's the author of 
death. Uh, he is the author of, 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 of the day. He's the author of the night. He's the author of the morning. He's the author of the evening. And then there's character contrast. There's Cain and Abel. Oh, good. There's uh, Jacob and Esau. There's David and Goliath, you see what I'm saying? Or Saul, you could say Saul too. Extreme opposites that are supposed to teach us that everybody between the extremes is included. And God is over that area. Whatever the scripture's talking about. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because here's what I mean in this text. You have the extremely engaged and embraced person in the ruler, and you have on the other end of the extreme, the extremely rejected, excluded woman. And I don't want you to miss this, because I don't think any one of you at any location is at either end of the extreme. I think you're somewhere in between. I think you're, and, and, and here's what I want you to see, and some of you are, you're, you're aiming right now at being the extremely embraced member of the culture. And you better watch out for that, because it'll get into your heart. And before you know it, you're chasing the good life instead of the God life. Or you're aimed at, and, and you're not aimed there intentionally, you're just being shoved there. You're being put, you're being put into that corner. You're being, you're being pigeonholed into that area, and you feel more and more ostracized every day by what you're seeing and by what people are doing. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into despondency and think that God can't love you, and he can. But there's a third group of people that'll keep you from pursuing Jesus. <laughs> And I got to tell you, I'm the most excited to tell you about these people because this is speaking to my heart as much as it's going to speak to yours. Do you know there's someone more dangerous than the people who embrace you and the, and the people who include you, exclude you? What? Write this down. Number three, there are people, they can be the people who embrace you and exclude you at the same time. Oh, what do you mean by that, pastor? That's confusing. <laughs> I'm talking about the people who are always in your life just to put you down. I'm talking about the people who never let you go, but really never stop criticizing you. I'm talking about the life-sucking leeches. You know what a leech is? A leech sticks to your body, not because it loves you, but because it wants what's inside of you. It just And how many know there are people in your life that will never leave but leech off of you and suck the life out of you? Oh, they'll call you inclusion, but they'll only call you to criticize you. Oh, they'll want to get together. And then all they do when you're together with them is they'll just put you down and question everything that you do. Is that, am I talking to anybody who's got a couple of leeches stuck on their life socially? Because if you don't have one, you might be one and you need to take your lips off of somebody else's skin. My goodness, take care of yourself. Stop leeching on other people. Stop worrying about what they're doing. Stop involving yourself in other people's lives. Always criticizing, always telling them what's wrong, always giving them advice. Lay off of them and worry about your walk with God. 
Get free from that person. Get free. And some of you need this today. You need deliverance this morning. You need to get away from the leech who is always on you and they pretend to love you, but really they just can't stand you. And the only reason why they got you in their life is because you are the whipping boy that they want to take all their aggression out that they got toward God. You got to get free from that stuff. I'm talking to myself here just as much as I'm talking to you because I've met these people and they don't give a rip about you. And if you're not careful, you'll think you can be their savior. You'll think you can fix them. You, you, you think you're doing the Christian thing by giving all your time to this person who wants nothing to do with God, but they want to do everything they can to criticize the movement that he created. Get rid of them. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. And don't give, your per don't give what is sacred to dogs. Now, I know that cuts across the modern mantra that God loves everybody and everybody's wonderful and everybody's good. No, there are some people that you can't change. You can pray for God to change them, but it's not your job to change them. Can I get a good amen right here? This is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to set some people free. I don't know if you're going to receive it, but I'm trying to set you free. Write this down. Beware of the unappeasable person. No, no matter what I do, they're never happy. No matter what I say, they've always got something else to criticize. No matter how much I give, they always ask for more. Am I talking to somebody that needs to get free? Because they'll keep you away from Jesus. I'm trying to tell you, they'll keep you away from your father who loves you. He's, he's not a taker, he's a giver. He, he, he's not a, I love this, my God is not a criticizer. He's a life changer. My God doesn't suck the life out of me. My God blows the life of his spirit inside of me. And I'm made powerful when I spend time with him. But if I give my life to all these people who don't have time for that, I'm going to let them suck the life out of me instead of living for the people who will pay attention to what God is doing in this world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I love this passage. I want to just give you that unappeasable line in a passage. It's not in your notes, but look at this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. What's the last word? Unappeasable. In other words, they can't be pleased. So stop trying to please them. Stop trying to please them. It could be a mom. It could be a spouse. It could be an employer. It could be a coworker. It could be your own idea of yourself and what you should be. And you're serving them instead of resting in the love of God. I want to give you the sermon and the sentence so we can wrap this thing up. An encounter with Jesus happens when I pursue him and cease trying to please them. Who, who's, got, who's got their hook in your nose that you need to let go of today? Who, who's keeping you away from what God wants to do in, in your life, what he wants to give you in your life? You know, we used to sing a song in the church. It was called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. How many remember that song? All locations. Put your, you should put your hands up proudly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've decided to follow Jesus. You know, 
You know where that song was written? You know where that song comes from? You'll never believe it. It comes from India. 150 years ago, some missionaries from the Welsh Revival, Wales, traveled across land and sea to bring the gospel to some native tribes in northwest India. One of the tribes they came across was the Assam tribe. This was a barbaric, head-hunting, nasty, violent tribe. Those Welsh revivalists came in and brought the gospel. They preached about Jesus Christ who died for them 2,000 years ago. And people started coming to Christ. And one of the first people who came to Christ was named Noxang. Noxang, and not just him, but his wife and his two children all came to Jesus. They all converted to Jesus. And the chief of their tribe was mad as a hornet. And he threatened Noxang. And he brought Noxang in front of all the villagers with his whole family. And he said, Noxang, deny Christ and you'll live. And Noxang said the following, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So they shot his children in front of him. And his children died. And they said, Noxang, deny Jesus and you will live. And Noxang responded with the words, though none go with me, still I will follow Jesus. And then they shot his wife dead in front of his eyes. And they said, Noxang, spare your own life and deny Jesus. And he said, the cross before me, the world behind me, I'm still following Jesus. And then they shot Noxang dead. And he slumped over and gave his life up for Jesus. You know what happened in that village? When the, when the chief saw that this man was willing to lose his children, his wife, and his own life, for some guy he had never met personally, but died from 2,000 years ago. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit entered the chief's heart, and he got saved in that moment, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And because the chief got saved, the whole village got saved. And to this day, in that area of Northwest India, there are people who call on the name of Jesus. Because Noxang said, I'm not gonna let what people think tell me what to believe. I'm not going to let my culture, which rejects me or accepts me, tell me what I'm going to do with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what anybody tries to do to my life. And I got a question for you at every location. Is that going to be you? Because at the end of your life, it really doesn't matter what I think about you. And it doesn't matter what your spouse thinks about you. And it doesn't matter what your kids think about you. And it doesn't matter what your parents think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. It matters what he says about you. And if you choose to believe it, I want to tell you today that if you surrender your life to him, he says, I love you with an everlasting love and I'll never let you go.